All right, we are back. Weekends, episode 15. You were here for 13. You were here for 14. We're here for 15. I don't know why I said that, but we're keeping it in. What famous 15s do you have on the docket for today? So 15 is actually a funny number and and sort of timely. Um, first, I got to shout out VC15, Vince Carter, uh, like one of the best to ever do it. Def- definitely the best in-game dunker of all time, number 15. But also 15 is Carmelo Anthony and, and Nikola Jokic mm. from the Nuggets. And funny enough, man, this is like the pettiest thing I've ever seen, like the most hater thing I've ever seen, especially for a 75-year-old. George Carl, who used to coach uh, Carmelo Anthony, <laughs> just put out a tweet. Uh, about Nikola Jokic and it was like congrats to Nikola Jokic on all of your achievements by far and away the best to ever wear number 15 on the Denver (laughs) Nuggets and he tagged Carmelo Anthony in the tweet and it's because they've had a legend because like Carmelo like was such a selfish player according to George Carl and I guess they like beefed and he's still like again like 75 years old like 15 20 years later and he's still like super petty and salty but I just found that hilarious That's how he so funny uh, old dude just sitting back angrily tagging Carmelo in the post I thought that was healarious oh um, that's so good but yeah that that that's the significance of 15 I guess for this episode other 15s basically whenever we go you go off the dome and I just pull it up and see who see who else Patty Mahomes shout out Patty Mahomes three oh, Super no Bowls kidding. gonna try to be I think he's going to try to chase Tom Brady. I don't think he'll get to seven. I think so many balls have to bounce your way to have yeah, teams dude, good enough to win. So he's at three. I think he'll end with five, and he'll be second of second greatest of all time. Um, quarterback, debatably. Uh, Kemba Walker, pretty... Oh. pretty uh, Charlotte, you know, man. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. He's a baller. Ooh, Thurman, Thurman Munson. Shout out Big Thur. Big Thurman. Haven't heard that name in a long time. Munson. Was he Bills? He was... Um, no, he was he was MLB, uh, oh, MLB, actually born in Akron, Ohio, where I'm from. Team Yankees played on the Yankees. Um, oh wow! Okay, I didn't know some that. others. We got Brandon Marshall, Dustin Pedroia. Uh, yeah, we're really scraping the bottom of the barrel here. But uh, <laughs> Tim Tebow. Mar- Marshall's had a great post career career though, like post playing yeah, career. He, he's like he's he's a uh, huge in media right now. He's like reinvented himself in an awesome way. I love seeing that. But, oh, you know who else yeah, man. is 15? Who? Your boy, Sandy Alomar Jr. Oh, no kidding, man. I didn't know that. I, I was never a huge Sandy Alomar fan just because I was like, his, his first name isn't Roberto, so it didn't hit the yeah. same. Um, but yeah, Mahomes, it's interesting because like, you're right. I mean, seven is, man, four more. I mean, he's young. Say he plays another, he could probably play till he's 42, 43, especially how things are going now. But that's tough, man. That's a, that's a tough league. Um, but I yeah. do think... Like, who would you say before we get into it is the best, not the greatest? There's always like a discrepancy, right? Like, who would you say is the most skilled quarterback to ever live? Is that still Tom Brady? Or are we talking about Rodgers, Mahomes, Montana here? Peyton Manning is in the conversation. Or do you still got to give it to Tom Brady? Like, proof is in the pudding kind of thing. Uh, my, my, my head leans Tom Brady just because... I think people overlook how dynamic of an arm he had. Although because he's not mobile or athletic, you kind of watch him and you're like, this is not the greatest quarterback to ever live. Or like, this is not the the most talented quarterback to ever live. I don't know. I feel like there's so many games where I've watched Rodgers do some insane shit. Like 
the double Hail Mary games. Like he he's scrambling. He's throwing off one foot sidearm. It's crazy. Tom Brady's more like a mechanical system quarterback. He brings the the soldiers up to protect him. Exactly. Rodgers is like a magician and his arm is an absolute cannon. So I don't know. I'd have to think about yeah. that more. Well, definitely Tom Brady, definitely the greatest. I would say top five for sure in my book is is Brady Mahomes, Manning, Rodgers, Montana. I think that's my five. But yeah, there, there is an argument for Mahomes most talented ever. Like yeah. that Super Bowl was crazy. That final drive, it was like he was just playing Insane. ball in the park. Like he, it was so Insane. matter of factly, it was so casual. He didn't seem worried or panicked or it was just, it was like, what a performance, man. There's not a lot of people in the world. Brady, Manning, those guys could have maybe done it as well. But Mahomes is unique in that aspect where like he can just pull off the impossible and make it look so easy. That clip of the overtime that's like going viral right now where they do the coin flip and the 49ers didn't know that the Chiefs were going to get the ball also. And like 49ers receive and then Mahomes is just mic'd up on the sideline like, they want the ball. They want the ball. They can have the ball. Like he just knew, like he, he knew he was yeah, going to come. Exactly. And, he doesn't care score. who's in front of him. He's going to take it. I, man, greatness, yeah. greatness. It's amazing. All right. So we got a big docket today. Where should we start? We got a bunch of topics. We can also talk like state of the world in terms of what we're thinking with where we're at, where what's most interesting to you. I say, let's go with Sora first. I don't think we need to spend a lot of time on it. We've covered AI uh, video generation for some time, but like this was to me, truly world changing. Like this, it, it was one of the moments in tech where I will feel like in five years from now, I might remember where I was, what I was thinking. Like, I think it's that impactful. Granted, it's a demo. Um, I, I doubt we even have to introduce it or frame it. I think most people probably saw this. It went crazy on the internet because it is world changing. But yeah, to me, it was like, wow, it, this has officially ushered us into an era um, where, you know, everybody has access to what was previously only available to, to the most expensive like Hollywood films, where it's like in a few seconds, you can make anything do anything, anyone do anything. Like we're getting into scary hours a little bit. And um, yeah, I'd love to hear your thoughts on on Sora, initial thoughts there. Yeah, I mean, when I saw it, so I've now trained my brain where anytime Twitter is reacting violently, where like people that don't normally tweet are retweeting being like, holy shit, this is insane. Anytime that happens, I should not exit out of the app. I should actually like dive further. So we, yeah. we got this hit with Sora, same reaction as we typically see. Now, the thing with these AI video platforms like Runway, Pika Labs, when you and I are in our phase where we're like sensationalizing everything for views and like something new comes out and there's like a cool demo and we let it rip, that's kind of how what I put the runway and the Pika in, the bucket in. Like I want it to be real. The demo is insane. I use runway. I've never been able to produce anything good out of runway. Like I've tried many times and it's jittery. It's like not realistic. You can tell it's AI. Pika, I promoted it and then like a bunch of people commented like, hey, I tried to use it and like the videos don't look like this. So I'm very skeptical with these things now, but OpenAI just doesn't approach product building in that way. Like they're, they have no reason to lie or mislead because they're already a market leader. So when I started looking at these demo and we, and to be clear, like Sora's not out yet or it's in like a private red team beta. So we don't actually know if it's real, if these demos are real, but Sam Altman was kind of like fielding tweets and real time creating videos with Sora that were this legit. So I kind of think it is legit. This is a complete another step forward in, in a way that's, I think MKBHD talked about like, it's a little scary, but also like crazy, like very interesting and crazy. So I, my immediate thought was like, okay, in the, 
in the world of filmmaking, one piece of it is coming up with like visual shots that are like high quality that can help you tell the story visually. There are a lot of other pieces in terms of like character building, narrative, using dialogue, and like a lot of other things that Sora can't do, but like from the B-roll graphic video shots, which most of YouTube is built off of, this is probably going to replace story blocks. It's going to replace pixels, unsplash. It's going to actually augment people having to film their own B-roll. So I think it's going to be hugely disruptive. What are, you, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, it's phenomenal. It's I, I, I can't think of another word. It's like Pika, Runway, and all these other ones that that have existed up until now. They're sort of they're they're kind of taking like a pre-existing image and then trying to kind of fill in like what the next sequence would be in a way um, by using their data maps. But OpenAI is taking it a step further where they're actually figuring out the physics as well. So I don't I don't even really know how to explain it, but it's um. There was an example that I that I saw today with like ants crawling through. And so like if it was Sora, uh, I'm sorry, if it was Pico Runway or one of these other ones, it would just kind of like the ant would sort of like move and things would kind of, it's very uncanny valley. It definitely looks like AI. It's not realistic in any way. But Sora OpenAI has figured out a way to map out the physics, almost like a depth map of the image at hand. And then the generation responds accordingly to what those physics should look like. It's, it's unbelievable. Like it truly is like one of the things where I've seen on the internet where I could not believe my eyes. I was like, holy shit. It was almost like, um, like when, when OpenAI productized uh, GPT-3 with ChatGPT and it came out November 21, I think, or, or 22. That was a holy shit moment as well. And people started realizing and piecing it together. Wow, this is the future. And like, honestly, in the last two, three years, we've had more of this than probably in the last like 15, 20 years combined, I would say. Yeah. Where like the Vision Pro was another one. And like all of these things are coming out at the same time and blowing people away. And we're truly entering this new era. I think the last one was really like Web 2, late 2000s, early 2010s in Silicon Valley, where it was like this magic era, probably earlier than that before our time, like 80s when it was the microchip revolution um, in, in the advent of the PC and whatnot. But now it's like, we're entering this new era where all these like technology, hardware, software, it's all coalescing into this one unbelievable tech landscape. I think it's gotta be one of the most exciting times ever for a builder, uh, in tech. And it's like every week, it feels like we're being blown away by new technology or device or hardware. And man, it's, um, I don't know where it all leads, but it, it's pretty incredible every week to the point where like it's almost becoming common where i don't i don't react as wildly as i used to because we're getting them so often like if you make videos sora you'd pay hundreds of dollars a month for access to sora like it it, it would be your if you can tell stories and you can write scripts and you can write dialogue and you had sora i think you could make maybe not feature films, but like you could for sure make top quality YouTube videos every single day with it. And I think that's like a really mind blowing concept. Now, one of the things you were saying before, which I want to get into is, is open AI just going to be the runaway winner with everything AI related? Because it's funny how the previous meta in like web two was kind of like you know, these big juggernauts growing, but there are all these like little niche factions that small startups could piece off or like go and attack because the big company is not going to be able to focus on these little verticals. And I kind of thought the same thing was going to be true for AI. Like open AI was going to build the infrastructure layer from an API perspective and 
ChatGPT is turning out to be one of the most popular consumer interfaces for like text chatbot. But video, why couldn't Runway, a dedicated startup specifically for video, why couldn't Runway own that? Like there's no way OpenAI, which is focused, is splintered across all these initiatives, could also win in video. But it's turning out they are, or they could, if this holds true and like this trajectory maps. So my question for you is, why is this the case? Like, is it OpenAI just has better talent? Is it OpenAI starting from a better place from a model perspective because it has the raw inputs? Like, why why do we think this is happening? I think there's a combination of probably so many things and I don't have intimate knowledge, so this is just a guess. But first of all, leadership, like Sam Altman, uh, this was, by the way, remember Elon Musk sort of co-founded OpenAI. And I think that, there, you know, there were other people obviously working on it in the space, but this was like a pretty flagship uh, kind of endeavor and brand. And so they had that early advantage with the brand. And I think when, once you have that kind of leadership, you're you're just going to be a magnet for the best talent. I think we've seen it with Tesla, Microsoft, Apple, et cetera, where like these kind of breakthrough visionaries come along and people just want to join them in their mission and just be part of something. And obviously they understand where it's like, hey, this is this guy knows how to, uh, you know, I'm going to get good equity by joining early on. This is going to be pretty impactful for me down the line. Um, so it's just a matter, I think, of talent Obviously now money and resources, they can just poach the best talent in the world. It's going to get more and more difficult as, as Apple, Microsoft, Google, et cetera. Well, Microsoft's part of OpenAI, but um, as people add more resources to it, like Elon's very much in the game now, et cetera. But I think it, it comes down to first the first mover advantage, advantage with brand equity. There's other things in it like leadership. I think Sam Altman is phenomenal. Like one thing that he understands very well is sort of how to hack culture. Um, we saw that with like him responding to Mr. Beast and and these kind of things. And and so I think it's got to be talent because it, if from from the outside looking in, it does feel like they're just way ahead of everybody that they just had like maybe a year or two of a head start and everybody's playing catch up while they're literally playing like a different game. Like nobody's even in, in the uh, in the ballpark of what they're doing. It's crazy. Um, and the one thing that I'm thinking of is like Apple's been eerily quiet eerily quiet to the point where I'm like, there's no way this $3 trillion behemoth is just going to fall this behind. Like, what are they working on? What have they been working on over the last year, year and a half? Are we going to see like a massive WWDC announcement that just like blows everything out of the water? Or are they going to have to, you know, catch up via acquisition? I like, I'm very curious about that. I don't think Apple just kind of like, you know, gently goes off into the wind. Um, I think they're going to be a major player here, but it's, uh, it's yet to be seen. But to answer your question, as far as OpenAI, I just think it's a massive head start and just the best talent in the world. Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, so you were also saying something around ChatGPT being kind of like going to this censored place or like becoming less usable because of the influences politically. And then also this ties into the Reddit piece. You want to tee up like, why why does this matter right now in terms of, how it's affecting ChatGPT and like how this maybe will trickle down into other products. This is anecdotal, but I've seen a lot of other people talk about it. I think that ChatGPT and honestly, a lot of other LLMs, they've been castrated and sort of neutered over time. I think they've become less and less useful because they're now refraining from answering so many questions. I think it's a combination of political pressure, um, uh, ethical, ethical questions, uh, moral bounds, but there's things that you could, you could ask at the beginning that you can no longer ask. It just won't let you, or it'll give you like a cookie cutter answer to, to kind of decline your inquiry. 
And I've seen that across the board with LLMs. This, this is another plus for open source LLMs. I think that's why there's going to be a rise with those. But then again, like who's going to build these interfaces for them to be able to interact with these LLMs if you're not like technical? And then like who is going to control and legislate around this? So it's, it's, it's sort of unclear to me, but I do feel like with Reddit, the news is that Reddit reportedly has licensed their user-generated content for $60 million a year to an unnamed AI company. My guess is either OpenAI or Google. Um, but like exclusive and, license, only that yeah, one can use yeah, it? Yeah, exclusive license. And the reason that's important, we talked about it a little bit uh, last episode, but it's like, hey, wait a second. Like this is, you know, people, I, get, I mean, people post on Reddit for fake internet points as it is, and they're happy with that. So I don't think there's going to be like this big call to arms to, to go out there and try to get a piece of that pie. But- you know, it's it goes to our um, our thesis that proprietary data is key, and like Reddit is a huge windfall because there's so much good data there. So whoever got access to that data, I think, is in good position. However, at the same time, Reddit is very biased. I would go as far as saying it's the most leftist uh, platform on all of the internet, and so that's all all going to play out as well to the point where like everything else in, in society, even sneakers now, I don't know if you saw Trump dr uh, drop at $400 sneakers, but like everything <laughs> is becoming political. And I think very much so AI will be this as well, where, they, where there will be like, don't use that, that's biased. Uh, don't use that, that's biased to the right. And it'll go the way of like media these days, you know, where there's like a Fox News and a CNN and like everything is segmented. Um, that's kind of what I'm, I'm scared of and I could see happening for sure. But I'd, I'd love to hear your thoughts on, on the Reddit licensing deal. Um, and also on whether you've experienced the same thing with LLMs, like, are they less useful now? Well, isn't it, isn't it funny? Like as a side tangent, isn't it funny how things ebb and flow back? Like everything is cyclical because I feel like the initial societal construct was like tribalism, right? Like people were in tribes and they were like repping their tribe over everything. They would eventually expand and like merge and, you know, relate, work with other tribes. But like at the end of the day, you're like core unit. You were like, no matter what happens, the core unit's what I rep. Then we brought into like this democratic free republic where like everybody is open working with each other. There are like different groups and tribes, but like people cross over. And now we're like going back to this like super violent tribalism, right? Right now, political is like the way we group, but it's also like race. Even those buckets are getting like way more fixed in terms of like what people support or don't support. It's like, it, it's very interesting just like at a high level anthropologically, like how we're like shifting around, but that's just a random thought. But, um, on the Reddit deal to, to, I mean, what we were saying a couple episodes ago, I think is will end up being very prescient, which is, and it's not this crazy revolutionary idea, but it's like anyone who owns the private data sets is going to anyone who has the licenses to those or makes an LLM on top of those is going to be the one with the richest experience. And so Reddit being one of the most valuable ones. So the fact, I kind of think 60 million is a little light. Like I, I'm surprised, or maybe if they're doing it per year, they're, they're expecting to scale it and they're just like, they want to lock in the revenue now and trial it. But I don't really use, like to answer the question specifically, I don't really use chat-based AI that much. Like maybe I should be, but I don't. Like. I have ChatGPT plus premium. I have a subscription perplexity I've played with before, you know, Google, I don't like go out of my way to use the Google Gemini or like duet or whatever it's called. Like if it's in search, I'll like read the result, but I don't go. So I don't, it hasn't really permeated into my workflow mostly because I used it a bunch early on and I found it 
helpful, but not revolutionary for the use cases I was trying. So because of that, it just hasn't broken in as a habit for me. So I don't like, I, it's tough for me to weigh in on like if ChatGPT has gotten less useful, but I can imagine that the bigger it gets, the more people that get on it, the more tightly controlled some government or some governmental figure will like push down on Sam Altman. I was also thinking, and I'll throw it back to you, and this could be a wildly inaccurate take. I haven't really put this through the paces, but like it's possible that like chat GPT as the interface is actually not super valuable to open AI. So like, I kind of think that more of the gold comes from being the foundational layer pipes into everything else and getting like the API per token subscriptions from all the companies building on top. And like, they all have to rely on you versus the, chat interface that happens to, that, that will potentially be the Google replacement only because I don't think ChatGPT is good enough to be the Google replacement. And so because of that, it's almost as if, if that's true, Sam Altman will be willing to like be manipulated into censoring ChatGPT so that he could focus more on the infrastructure or like raising $7 billion for the chips or like things like Sora, you know, verticalized use cases. I don't know if that resonates with you or I'm like completely off, but I almost feel like ChatGPT allowed OpenAI to build brand and to build brand around the word ChatGPT and the word OpenAI, but actually the experience of that one product isn't the most important thing to them as a company. Yeah, I mean, first of all, great points. Like as world changing as uh, and breakthrough as LLMs are, I feel like the number of users don't reflect that. I would I would opine, I would think that it's in the in the hundreds of thousands, if not low millions, of people around the world who are actually actively using an LLM, which I find pretty incredible, um, especially in relation to how how amazing the technology is. So that's interesting. Um, I actually don't use an LLM either as much as I probably should. Like I I do it has replaced and supplanted my Google search for a lot of things. Like yesterday, like I was telling you, I injured my back. And I, I literally asked ChatGPT for like the best lower back exercises to like heal. Normally I would ask Google, but Google, you have to sift through like six sponsored ads and like all, all this garbage information. So like ChatGPT is much cleaner. But even then, six months ago, like medical advice or nine months ago, ChatGPT was incredible. It was like diagnosing you and better than a doctor. But now it's hesitant, probably because of legal constraints and, and pressure. It's hesitant to give you any real information. And so it's even gotten worse on that front. Anyways, again, all sort of anecdotal, but if you're listening, I'd love to hear your experience with LLMs, whether they've gotten more or less useful for you. And then to the other thing that you mentioned, um, shit, hold on, refresh my mind. What was it, the second point you made that I thought was a great one? I, I said a bunch of random things. <laughs> I, I feel like the the point around uh, the LLM not being as important for OpenAI as like, other, oh, yeah, the, yeah, not at the exactly. LLM, but the chat Exactly. So two quick points. One on the Reddit, it is 60 million. Most onlookers thought it was pretty low. Like Reddit may have got fleeced, but but to them, I think they're just trying to get as much value as possible pre-IPO to like really pump up those numbers and, and they'll definitely renegotiate. Yeah. Um, and so, but yeah, man, I do think like Meta, Facebook ran into this problem. Like eventually, no matter how good your software is, like the hardware is how you interface with them. You, you need to own hardware, right? And that's why all these companies, that's exactly why Microsoft went with Xbox and everybody tried to make a phone and like Meta's making this huge push into hardware, Snapchat's even getting into hardware, et cetera. It's like, eventually 
the, the chat interface that you have to access via a website or access via an app with the friction, like we've been covering, uh, or I've been covering Rabbit, like this is their thesis. It's like, in order to access an LLM, you got to swipe up to unlock, you got to type an app, you got to do this, you got to ask permissions for the camera. You, with, with, like the, with like any of these AR hardware devices, just like a button click away, and then you're, you're interfacing with the LLM, LAM, whatever it may be. And so ChatGPT knows this. This is why OpenAI teamed up with Joni Ive, Johnny Ive, and they're creating a hardware device themselves. I don't know what it's going to look like. Is it going to compete with the other three or four that are already coming onto the market? I know big tech are making major moves here. You know, Facebook's coming out or they're doing their thing with the Ray-Ban Metas. Uh, Apple will eventually release eyewear, et cetera. But it's like, that is going to be actually the game. So they're trying to figure out, I don't think they care too much about, you know, how many subscriptions to their $20 a month chatbot yeah. they're selling. They're just trying to become the best foundational layer, the best proprietary uh, data and technology. And then I'm sure if they went out, like they'll, uh, Apple will have no choice as they did with Google exactly. Maps and Google search to license that data for all iPhones, et cetera. So like, I think that's the game OpenAI is playing, but they're also like very competitive. And so they want to build their own hardware to compete at the hardware level as well. But, but that's very much the game to me. They'll, they want to be the pipes into the operating system and they don't know Correct. which hardware device slash operating system will win, but they want to be the most valuable pipe in, which, which to me, that's a good like hedge strategy. It's not even hedge. I mean, that's where they started, but that's a good strategy. If you don't know if your hardware play is going to win, because I keep coming back to this is like the rabbit or the, the humane pin or like the tab, like people can make this hardware all they want, but like. 3 billion people have this in their pocket. All, all that Apple needs to do is let you, I mean, you, you don't even need to touch a button to activate Siri, but like if there's a big button on the side and I just press it and then I just talk and the AI stuff happens or your watch, which like, let's be honest, like the products that billions of people own are AirPods, iPhone, and Apple Watch. Those are like the ones that everybody has. That's all Apple all day long. So like for somebody, for me to go and get another hardware device to pin it on my shirt or even wear it as a watch just so that I can get the AI capabilities, those AI capabilities would have to be so much better than what Apple comes out with because you know they're coming out with something. It would have to be so much better than what Apple comes out with that you're willing to wake up in the morning and put some other hardware thing on you. I just don't right. see people doing it. And, and it's, another, really it's another thing it. to charge, you know, like another device to charge overnight and use in the morning. So I kind of agree with you. One of my theses is I do think like eyewear can win out just because there's no friction. The con the context visually is important. Yeah, yeah. You may have like some AR projections that 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 may be helpful day to day or throughout your day and, and in your workflows. Um, but I do think there is like I understand humane rabbit tab, et cetera. What they're trying to, especially humane and rabbit, like their entire thesis is like, well smartphones are like these consumption devices. Now they're media devices. They're to watch social media, they're big screens to watch YouTube, play games, et cetera. It's like, they're betting on that there'll be, and like you said, the AI has got to be so good. It's just got to be damn good for people to use it. But they're betting on a segment of the population where it's like, yo, these are distractions now. I don't really want to, I just want the compute. I just want the computing power. I don't really want to get distracted by Instagram and go on a scrolling mess or swipe away like a hundred notifications. Like I just want a lightweight device that I can carry with me for the computing that I need. That's what they're betting on. And it, it will be curious. I'm curious to see how the market responds. But like you said, if the AI isn't good, I think they're dead in the water. Like it just has to be extraordinarily useful. Um, I think for these things to pan out. 
And, and imagine uh, imagine how much richer the Apple AI will be when they can run localized models trained on your messages and your private emails, right? So like, and that's coming, man. Exactly. Yeah, that's and that's coming. also a touch of a button on your side. Hey Siri or voice exactly. activated. It'll be very tough for these companies to compete, but I applaud them. It's like, it's a very an ambitious endeavor and uh, there may be a market for it. Like again, like we'll, market will decide and it'll be very interesting to track. And I'm sure like the play for most of them, if we're being honest, is to just get acquired by Apple or one of the players who wants to fold them in. I mean, otherwise it's an extremely ambitious vision to be like, we're going to take on Apple here when Apple has like a 3 billion person hardware lead. But I, what I was going to say is like, in theory, the idea of the phone is a distraction device. I want something without a screen that I can just talk to. In theory, that makes sense. And maybe 20 years from now, that is the paradigm. But I just think humans are visual creatures. So like, I like having a screen that gives me visual feedback. Or if it's not a screen, to your point, the only way anything else could win is eyewear with or contacts, something that gives me visual feedback. Because I think Walking, like walking around in public, talking to yourself with no screen is like, or talking to the AI is like one step away from like a homeless person mumbling to himself on the corner. Like everyone's just going to be in their own little bubble, having conversations with themselves with no, like, you know, I, I just, I, I don't see that as the, I could be wrong, but I don't see f 5 billion people switching to that as their main mode of like interaction versus some visual feedback system. So not to say I like the phone, I'd rather get off the phone, but I, I, I like the idea of the Ray-Ban Meta contact lenses, something like that, that has AR capabilities. That's extremely rich. I can take it off right away. It doesn't hurt my head to wear. I can wear it all day long. So to me, like if you map it on a, on a chart, Vision Pro is like at the top end of quality, but also top end of like bulkiness. And at the bottom right now you have like Meta Ray-Ban glasses, which is like the lightest, but also the like least rich in terms of visual experience. Like really all you can do is press the button to record. You can't see anything today. And you're going to find some conversion point in the middle, hopefully closer to the sunglasses where it's like the optical quality is insane. Everything you look at has an overlay. If you want, you can talk to the AI in the, the meta frames, the battery life lasts all day. It's super light to wear and like easy to wear. It also looks good. That's why I think we end up on the day to day. Cause imagine if Apple dropped like Apple shades and they were $400 and they were in like 10 different styles and they were super rich and had like the vision pro style experience. I mean, everyone would buy those. That would be insane. Yeah. It's so exciting. It's such an arms race in tech, big tech startups, everybody alike is, is rushing to figure this out. I think people are starting to realize this is kind of the future of computing. I think Zuckerberg, he was on the morning brew podcast and he said something that I kind of agree with where it's like, I wear are going to, that's like the new mobile device. That's like the new smartphone. And then the Vision Pro, the headsets, the Quests, those are like the new computers in that sense. So it's like people will probably own both where yeah. you, um, and I, I thought that was a, I thought that was a great analogy. I agree with you. I think eyewear, it is to me like the winning form factor. Um, I also do think that talking to yourself is a little bit weird, even, even now, like <laughs> sending voice notes or whatever, but man, like cultural and societal norms move so fast and what True. becomes weird today in five years could be commonplace. I mean, I doubt 20 years ago, we probably thought it would be very Orwellian for everybody to walk around hunched over looking at a phone or even those photos and videos you see of concerts where nobody living in the moment. I mean, like things just change very fast. I think a more modern example were AirPods at the beginning, like these wireless sort of headsets were clowned a little bit. Um, when there were like Bluetooth headsets and stuff and like AirPods, the, it just became okay. And like, cool. All of a sudden, culturally, 
the Ray-Bans, Meta Ray-Bans also, like up until now, like wearing these weird things like Google Glass or Snapchat spectacles, it was always looked at as just weird and taboo and socially awkward. And now it's just like a thing. And I think these things get accepted really, really fast. So um, I, I, I agree with you, but I can, man, things change fast. So I never, I never yeah, know. That's um, true. What a time. A very interesting what a time to be alive. Tech race. Yeah, man, dude, it's going to be awesome to follow. It's like, it's going to be a lot of fun to sort of cover and be adjacent to. Um, so I'm, I'm actually really excited over, you know, for the next five, 10 years in tech. I think it's, it's dude, the pace is just going to be so rapid and things are going to be moving so quick. Um, so we'll see. We'll, we'll cover it all the way through. All right. Where, where do you want to go from here? I thought you had a couple uh, cool things on your newsletter that I think we, I want to talk about. One is, um, let's talk first. Last episode, we talked about John Hollinger, NBA, and he created the PER statistic in the NBA. And so it's like, before, how would you track a player? It would be like championships, points per game, rebounds. But then it's like, wait a second, if somebody's scoring 30 points on a shit team, uh, you know, and shooting at a 38% clip from the field, that's not very impressive versus somebody scoring 22 at a high efficiency rating on a good team. So it's like, how are we really measuring these players? And John Hollinger came up with this PER statistic, like player efficiency rating. And you'd go back in time and you'd look at the most efficient seasons. It was like MJ 91. It was like Steph 16, LeBron 13, Kobe 06. And you realize, wow, this rating is actually phenomenal. Um, and so it became like, almost like, how you rank a players through their efficiency rating. So we were talking about there's a million nuances and it's impossible to create like blanket statements or, or like rate the creator success equation. But you took a stab. I thought it was really interesting. Kind of like your own version of the John Hollinger PER. Um, and again, I'm sure that this will evolve over time, but explain your creator success equation, at least your first pass at it. Yeah, I took a stab. This is this is peak Aspergers. Just just went went in went in deep. Wrote down uh, basically how I was thinking about it is and and like you said, the problem is there are a lot of variables that are subjective that have to be factored in. So like in the NBA, in the PER, there's almost nothing subjective because it's I guess things that are subjective they didn't put in would be like did they get good sleep or you know, like, like, were they healthy in the game they played? And does that have like a weighting on how much or a factor on how much that goes into the equation? But at the end of the day, most of it's cut and dry black and white, which is why the rating works for creators. I try to boil down, like, what are the biggest factors that contribute to someone's success? And if there was a metric, the most valuable metric, if I'm a brand would be to look at a point in time between two or more creators to understand who has either the greatest potential traction on a piece of content or like is grow is growing at the fastest rate said another way. If you had a hundred dollars to bet on creators, who would you put the most money on kind of is what I was trying to get to. So the factors that I built into it, I'm, and the reason I'm looking off, so I'm looking at it now is there's some effort component. So like how hard is this person trying? There's some, which, which I call juice. There's some skill component, which is like, how talented is this person at the thing they're doing, which I call sauce, juice and sauce. There's how quickly are they iterating, which in terms of like improving their sauce, which is reps per week, which it could be like reps per month, but I'd pick reps per week. And then there's a compounding effect of like, the more they iterate consistently over time, the faster that number should grow. So originally I did it like 
to the power of sequential, sequential active quarters, which just means like how many periods of three months in a row are they working on this to give it that exponential effect? I did it as an exponent, but the numbers got huge. So I had to just do it as a multiplied effect. So for, for those watching on the screen, we'll flash it up. It's basically your effort plus your sauce or your effort plus your skill measured out of 10. So, and those are summed together. So the most you'd have is 20. If you were asked max effort and the best in the world at what you do, it would be a 20. And that can go all the way to zero times the amount of reps you're doing per week on the given thing. So if it's short form video and you're putting out four videos per week, it'll be times four times the amount of sequential consecutive quarters you've been applying that effort. So for us, we've been doing that for about a year. So that's like four quarters. So times four. So max skill, max effort times four times four. So like 20 times four times four is what the maximum it could be for four reps per week for a year. That's the numerator. And then I was like, okay, well, how do we, how do we amplify it even further with the compounding time? Because I think the speed of iteration is the most important thing. Like you could take somebody with max effort and zero skills, but if they were iterating and putting something out every single day and they were iterating constantly, they're going to compound really fast over time. So the denominator is kind of like, it's one minus, uh, it's tough to even describe, tough to even describe with words, but it's, it's the amount of days in a month you were active and you're trying to create, and it's one minus that. So if you were active for 29 days in a month, I had to do minus one because if it's 30 over 30, it's one and then it becomes zero as a problem. So it's, it's 28 days in a month minus one is 27. So it's 27 divided by 30 days in a month, which is whatever that is. And you take one minus that, which is 33 over 30. So that way, like the more active you are, the bigger the number will be on a multiplicative effect. So I don't, that denominator might not even need to be in there, but that's, that's kind of, that was kind of the stab at it trying to put together effort, skills, and iteration into some kind of a formula. What's tough is, like I said, effort is a little subjective and skills is subjective as well. And so I tried to apply, we'll flash this up. I tried to apply, what would the number be for me? And the goal is you kind of do this calculation for each platform that you're active on and you add them together. And so if we're looking at the graphic, I did it for short form video, I did it for email, and then I tried to do it for YouTube and came up with some number. So I'm curious, like when you read this, were you like, this is insane, <laughs> this dude's insane or were you, or like, did it track with you or like, what would you add or change? No, I mean, I, I was amused. I was like, wow. Like I, I wouldn't even know where to start, uh, if I were like going to take a stab at this. So it was amusing in that regard. Um, the first thing that I did notice is something you highlighted, which is, um, it works for sports. It's going to be a lot harder to kind of come up with this for creators, because as you said, the juice and the sauce are very subjective. So it's like, how do you really measure effort versus skills? It It's like your number may be wildly different than somebody else's that's sort of on looking. It's, I mean, so that that's sort of like the problem. It's not necessarily quantifiable yeah. data, but I did, I did like this. And I was like trying to uh, wrap my head around and I was like trying to plug numbers in for myself and what I like uh, um, consider with other creators. And it's like, it's, it's on the way. It's on the way. Like I said, because it isn't perfectly quantifiable and a lot of that, a lot of it comes down to opinion and it is very subjective, it's still a little murky, but this is such a dope stab. Like I want to tweet about this and like, it's, it's just, it's just interesting to talk about. It's like something that should be part of the, uh, the conversation. Um, yeah, I, I feel like the the best way to tweet it would be you, you tweet it uh, you, like my tweets don't do shit. You tweet it and just be like, 
Yo Callaway came up with like the, and they just put, put the pictures. Honestly, it'll get more reach that way. So yeah, that'd be funny. The one thing now that I'm talking about it, the one thing it's missing is a quality metric, which is also subjective because for example, if you only make one short a week, but your short is a 10 out of 10 quality instead of like three, three out of tens, there should be some multiplier effect on the quality. Well, I guess that's measuring, that's more measuring reach, not ability. So maybe it doesn't need quality. But what I like about this is that, like you said, because sauce and juice are subjective, they're factored less into the equation because they're summed and not multiplied because the difference between someone with high sauce and high sauce and juice and low sauce and juice might only be like nine or 10, but really the multiplicative effect is the iteration speed and the time you've been doing it for consecutively, which you and I would both say is probably the most important factor in growing is like, do you do it as frequently as you can? And have you been doing it for a long enough time? Like those two well, pieces. Well, I think, I think one thing, so it's like people may ask, okay, what is this rating for? Like in the NBA, you're going to use that rating for, for, if you're a scout, if you're coming up with somebody's salary and, uh, you know, figuring out the contract situation, et cetera. But where a rating like this could be useful is like for marketers. So it's like, imagine like this could actually be, by the way, it could be built or it could be somebody else's play. But like, if you come up with a rating that, that is very good, um, you could have a platform where you're licensing out this data to marketers. And in, in that scenario, you can go a little bit more quantifiable. So uh, there would still meet, need to be some subjectiveness to it. But as an example, you can, you can factor in average views versus last 30 videos versus last 15 versus last days. And then there's like something that you'd go, okay, well the last 30 videos all really hit, but you know, he's just like covering viral news, the Titanic sub, whatever it might be, but they, there's gotta be like a, a hit against that. But, but the reason why I think a formula like this would be valuable is actually, that would be great data for marketers. But for again, sure. the, the subjective part about that is like one of the big and and very important components of this is like status and brand equity, right? Because again, if I'm like, say I'm say I say I'm building an app, a creativity app, I can go out and get an army of creators who are doing millions of views, and that's going to do a lot of good for for my brand. But if I go out and get Casey, or if I go out and get like Gary V or whoever it might be, even if they're creative flops. It doesn't matter because now I have their stamp of approval and that goes a long way. Like, uh, you yeah. know, uh, approved by Casey. We got the Casey stamp on this. That's probably more valuable than the 3 million views from random TikToker 46. Um, and so that's subjective, like the brand equity, or is that, or is there a way to kind of measure that? But some sort of, and like, this is a great first stab, it's some sort of equation that measures everything where you could go to a marketer and be like, this person has a 93 score on the Callaway uh, creator, uh, metric that could become really, really valuable. And I think it's, and it's also just interesting and fun to, to explore. It's like, so business models that could be built on this, selling the data to marketers is like a subscription where it's like real time leaderboards where they can, because basically I was thinking what would like the Moneyball approach for a marketer be? So like Moneyball, if you haven't seen the movie is, I know you've probably seen it, but yeah, if you're listening movie. and you haven't seen it yeah, basically like the Oakland days were a lower market team. They weren't doing well, but like there was this insane statistician in the, you know, back office that was no, everybody ignored, but like he was the, one of the first people to pioneer, like using analytics to build teams. So like similar to the PER metric and like the war, which is a, what they use in baseball wins above replacement. He constructed a team of like seemingly nobodies, like no names, but together they were very efficient 
players and they fit together in a in an interesting way. And they, that team ended up like making a run to go to the playoffs. And there was this is amazing story. Similar, like if you're a marketer at said brand and you have a hundred thousand dollars, it's like what's the best way to use that hundred thousand dollars to cre- in a money ball type strategy to get the biggest reach or the biggest bang for buck? Well, it would be you would go to this list and similar to like a DraftKings or FanDuel where you're assembling a team with a certain amount of dollars you're trying to use this for creators. So there's like so many interesting corollaries to like ranking players or ranking creators for sports. There's really nothing for the creative arts. Yeah. Because if you, so Bro, that's I thought that was kind of interesting. That's brilliant. No, like we're onto something here and it's the same thing. I mean, not only to piece together, um, you know, our, our, what are the 14 creators we're going to, $100,000 how it's going to be split. But it's like when you're talking to a creator as a marketer or vice versa, it's like, hey, I want, $6,000 for a reel. And then, okay, but your score doesn't reflect that price. Or it's like, wow, that's great value because your score reflects a much higher, like there, there is something here. And yeah, there's something there, man, that's a data product that every marketer would pay for. Everybody, for sure. everybody, everybody would pay for. And probably a lot of creators would pay for as well to continuously like track their score and use that for their media kits or whatever uh, it may be. Uh, agencies, management. I mean, I think there would be a lot, a lot of customers. The TAM for this product would be relatively large. And, uh, so it all, it would all, first it, it takes like, what is that algorithm? Like, what is that equation? I think you're onto something here. And then, so maybe we shouldn't like, we're giving this out for free. Somebody's going to take it and crack it. Uh, and then B, how do you, is there a way to systemize this? Uh, will it, would it take like, you know, like a lot of man hours or is there, cause again, like a lot of it is subjective. Um, but I, I feel like there's something there. There's something there. Something we got to tweet about it today. We got to tweet about it today. hundred percent. Yeah. So that's, that was just like a random rabbit hole. Um, I think cause another way to look at it is like, if you were to make like the Midas list for creators, Midas is usually net worth. So like assume that it's not about money, but like if you were to make the top list for creators for top hundred creators, how do you even go about determining that list? Most of those people, people, if you had to do it today, you would just pick either based on following or based on like I don't know, views in the last year or like some, some metric that is very shallow in terms of like not taking into account all the different factors. And usually those lists are popularity contests, but imagine some unbiased metric. It's funny in a way, like humans just chase, chase numbers right now. Everyone's chasing views. Then they're chasing followers. Then they're chasing money. But like, wouldn't it be hilarious if the Callaway constant was the only metric that mattered for like getting paid. And everyone was like, how do I get higher on this leaderboard? <laughs> and like they were and, doing, and they it would were probably trying to like result reverse. in higher content across the board, less noise, more signal, um, which would be a positive Bad byproduct for everyone. from it. Yeah. Yeah. That's hilarious. Yeah. So, uh, we'll, we'll, I'll t- we'll tell Rafa to put this on the screen, throw the screenshots up and we'll tweet about it. We'll see. I think, I think we can get a tweet to go viral about this. We need to think about how to frame it properly if it comes from you're the, you, you're the much better writer. So if you want to, if you want to write it, I can tweet it. You retweet it, whatever you want. But, um, I, I do, it's such an interesting thing to talk about and to explore. Like there is something yeah. there and, uh, let's see if we can crack it. I'll write something up and then I'll tweet it. You retweet it right away with additional context. And I think, I think it will go perfect. It helps to have the visuals also. So yeah, hundred percent. Cool. All right. Um, what should, what should, where should we go next? Let's um let's actually end it with one more thing. Um, it, it, it's just something. Um, and again, like you can find all of these type of nuggets 
in Callaway's Blueprint newsletter, which I highly recommend. It's like, it's always just filled with, it's actually such a great uh, starting point for this pod where it's like, yeah. okay, it was kind of a slow week. Let's go look at the the wild and interesting things that Callaway wrote about in, in Blueprint. But you had a segment called Speed versus Weird. And I wanted you to expand on this a little bit. For what sure. does that mean? And, and how are you thinking about this? Yeah. Also, there's a new URL for it. So it's blueprint.game. Keep it super simple. Ooh, I like that. You want to subscribe, go to blueprint.game. Um, yeah. So speed versus weird. Basically, my theory around content is you want to be one of one. And to be one of one, it usually means you're kind of like weird and unique. And I've always thought being weird and unique will reward you maximally over time. I still, I still do believe that. I think you and I both create content that is very one of one style. We, we have our own kind of fingerprint. People come to us for it. And that's why we've had like significant success with the content. So last week I was sitting on the like Joe Rogan Spotify deal news. And for me, like, I don't really love being the reactionary creator where it's like something comes out. And then in the first 24 hours, I'm like rushing, I'm dropping everything to make it because I feel like it doesn't allow me sufficient time to sit on it and like really think about a perspective that's unique, which makes it weird. And so that, and like I was doing other stuff. So I figured I had an interesting take around why I think the Joe Rogan Spotify deal, which if you haven't heard about it, Spotify re-signed him. He's making up to 250 million for this deal, but there's like a really unique difference between his first and second deal, which I'll, I can talk about. My thought was if I share this unique perspective, even though I'm late on the news cycle, it'll still go viral because it's unique. It's weird. It's one of one. And so I spent a lot of time one day making it like seven or eight hours editing it. I stayed up all night. Those were inefficient hours, but I was like really excited. Anytime I come up with something that I feel like is unique, I'm very excited to put it out because you know, it's one of one. So I woke up in the morning, tweaked all the sound and shit and then posted it. And right away, like, I don't know if you do this, but like within the first five, 10 minutes, I can look at the metrics and see how it's trending and like, know if we've got a banger on our hands or if it's going to like fade away into obscurity. It'll still do 50 to hundred thousand views. And like, maybe it'll get second life seven for, days for later. The, but for those watching, cause I think it'd be interesting. How do you determine that? Uh, is it a percentage yeah. of likes versus views? Is it velocity of views? Like let, let's get into that real quick. Cause I think this could be interesting or important to people listening. The metric to look at, I, the metric I look at is like to view. And if, so you take the total amount of views at the time, click into it. How many likes do you have? If that number is over 10% consistently for the first hour or two, then it will grow fast or it, it used to grow fast. Usually I think the share rate is what's most important, but the share rate being at about 3%. If you get something where the like to view ratio is over 10 and the share rates over three for more than like the first five minutes, like it has to have, you know, five or 10 K views. If you have that, that's going to rip. And it may, it's going to start decomposing over time in terms of like that number is going to slowly go down over time. It's very hard to hold that number, have it go up because usually it's going to show it to your biggest fans. And those biggest fans are going to be the higher engaging than everyone else. But pretty quickly, if you look at it, you can tell if, if the video is below a 5% like to view and below a 1% share rate, it's dead on arrival. Like that, that video is going nowhere and anywhere in between five to 10% like to view and one to 3% share rate it's possible it gets legs later if it's like a highly searchable piece of content or, you know, or like you post it at a weird time and like that next wave of fans the next morning repost it or you get some huge influencer to repost it for you. It's possible that it could get new legs, but that's kind of like a rough 
metric that I use. Is that the same, similar to what you use? Yeah, I think you nailed it. I think it's very, very, uh, th there are some outliers and I'm trying to figure this out. So for example, I had uh, the game video that I have pinned on my Instagram reels. That was one of my best performing reels. But funny enough on TikTok, it was my best performing in terms of all those numbers you just talked about. So the share rate was as high as maybe I've ever had. The uh, the like to view ratio was maybe like literally the highest that I've had on TikTok, but it kind of did not do that well on TikTok. I think it ended up well by, you know, the standards for this video. I think it ended up at like 150,000 views with like 25,000 likes. It was like yeah, 15, crazy. 20%. It was, it was a very kind of unheard of ratio, but it didn't pop. So, I'm, so sometimes I'm like, okay, what else are we missing here? And these are just some of the unidentified unknown components of the algorithm. And sometimes it's just uh, up to chance. Um, but in general, what you just said is important. I look at, um, yeah, 10% like to view that'll like, obviously these things always decline sort of the bigger it gets, but especially at the beginning, the first few hours when it goes to like your dedicated fan base, that's really important. And, uh, yeah, everything you just said, I, I basically agree with. And there's really nothing you can do. Like once you post it, it is what it is. So that's why like looking at the metrics and feeling bad about yourself, if it's below 5% is like silly because there's nothing you can do. I guess you could take the video down, re-edit it, I guess, but I'm not going to do that. Like I, we've already spent so much time making the video. I just like let it fly, but I'm, it's I'm actually to a, a proponent of that, by the way. So I've taken a couple of videos down from TikTok that I'm going to read. So one of them was like a cinematic video that I made that flopped. And I realized like what I'm going to do, I took it down. I'm me and Carly are going to film something. I'm re-editing it with like me and Carly playing with a camera and it's going to be a, a text uh, hook where it's like my wife and I uh, made a video of me going back in time and talking with myself or something like that. So I'm like trying out different things on TikTok, but I'm not against that. Yeah. The, the time constraints are, are rough, but um, yeah. I, I, do probably love, the best, I do recommend that actually, do like delete. If you really feel you have a banger on your hands, take it down and, and re-upload with a different hook. Uh, if it doesn't work, I'm, I'm a proponent of that, but it is a, yeah. a time commitment for sure. That's a good, that's a good piece of advice. Something I should probably do for, for ones that I was pretty confident about this Joe Rogan one as an example, posted it and I posted it at a prime time too, like in the morning. So I, I figured like this shit's going to rip because it was a novel take interesting topic, cult hopped on Joe Rogan, sensationalized enough and at the right time. I was like, uh, we have the perfect storm. Metrics just didn't look good. They were, I think the share rate or the like rate was like 6% right off the rip and the uh, shares are tough. You have to like wait a few minutes for it to propagate. So uh, it's tough to know like what it's going to be. But I do think the share rate was like two to 3%, 2.5%, something like that. So I was kind of like, eh, this will pick up, but it never did. And, um, and I know that in hindsight, after I posted it, I'd like stayed up till 3am. So I was burnt out after I posted, I was like, I'm just going to go to the gym. As soon as I grab my bag, open Twitter, as I'm walking out the door, I see Justin Feinberg be like, Whoa, this is going to change everything. And then I see, um, I see Hunter Weiss also be like story blocks is dead. Like I saw those two tweets back to back and I was like, okay, what is this? Clicked into it, saw the demo immediately knew it was a rip. So then I was like, okay, I can either go to the gym, make this later and miss the wave. Or because I happened to catch it within the first hour, I might as well just like try to put something out. But because I was so fried, I didn't want to do my full 90 second full take, come up with something crazy. I just like, I didn't have the energy to do it. So I was like, all right, if I was going to make a quick video rapid to put it out and not take the whole day, what would I do? And I literally just sat down in five minutes, wrote the most generic, like this isn't going to change everything. Like just like the generic senses you always say, uh, like that I always say in videos that I don't do well. 
And I luckily, because we had the B-roll from Sora, I just went to Downey, dropped the video in. I had like 96 videos export out of Downey and just cut it up and posted it end to end in one hour. Posted that at like 11 a.m. And so that's the speed of the speed versus weird. That's the speed. And then that just ripped. It just, it just absolutely killed. And it, I don't think it did. It didn't do as well as yours, but for like the effort I put in, I think it's at like 150,000 views or something on Instagram. It did very well. And, uh, and basically this post in blueprint was me comparing the two and just realizing that like I spent eight hours on the Rogan video, one hour on this one, I got four X, the amount of views four like 10 X, the amount of shares, every metric was in favor of the one that I just sprinted to put out because it was in the news cycle. And so the takeaway, and I want to get your take on this is like, I think it's really easy to learn the wrong lesson when things happen that don't map to what your expectations were. So like the wrong lesson would be for me to be like, okay, my deep one of one weird videos are terrible. I should never do them again. I should only do breaking news. Like that's the wrong lesson. But there is something to be said that if you have a window into some trending topic and the metrics are going to work, is it worth taking it? So we play in this way. I want to hear your thoughts on this because me and you play in this like reactionary news tech AI stuff a lot and it works really well, but we've both been like, ah, we don't really want to be prisoner to this. So wh where do you fall on this? Yeah. Uh, for me, it's not like I'd, well, I, I kind of do enjoy it. I actually like the sport of getting things out fast on the Sora was funny. Hey, dad life. Don't judge me. I was, I was taking a nap and I wake up and it was like posted an hour ago, the Sora thing. I have open AI notifications on my, uh, on my Twitter I was like, fuck, I'm late, but let me go out and do it. And it was the same thing as you dropping it down. He cut it up. No real effort on the script. Let me just get this out as fast as possible. Um, and then before I, I wanted to touch on the uh, Google Gemini Pro. So I think mine like fuse those both together. Um, I don't, I love doing it for the sport of like trying to get it out the quickest. I knew I was going to be the quickest because I was, uh, I like woke up late. Um, I don't love doing it. Like it's not, um, it's not really like a creative challenge. It's not. Like, I don't, I don't want to like dedicate my life to make it, this, but my audience, I did initially grow through and like, I get feedback all the time. Thank you so much. Is because of you, I'm updated on like what's going on in AI. You and I are plugged in. Most people are not. So they, they need content like that to like stay updated. And so it's like almost like the create to create to serve mantra. It's like, yo, I'm going to do this for y'all. Um, but the other place that my mind goes, it's like, well, it all depends on what you're optimizing for. Like what are going to be the products that you serve to your audience? Or is it going to be brand deals? Is it going to be a speaker circuit? Like what are you trying? Are you trying to develop expertise in one thing? Are you just trying to build the max distribution and trust possible to sell? The it, all, it all kind of like depends on, on the objectives. But like there's an argument to be made that maybe that Rogan like created more affinity to you than the open AI Sora piece, right? So we go back to it all the time. It's like, and I use the Titanic sub because I, I like, did an experiment here when that news was everywhere. I was like, let me just make a video on this, like covering what's happening, like 4 million views, like immediately, like the fastest growing video ever, but I like did nothing for me. Right. Um, versus if I make a, a really compelling and like piece that evokes emotion and like inspires somebody and maybe gets 10,000 views, I'd argue that those 10,000s are more impactful than 4 million. So it always goes back to the kind of like the LTV of the, of the audience developed and the affinity developed through piece of the content. So it's like, we talk about this a lot and, you know, every creator, including myself, I'm sure we can fall into the trap of like maximizing views, but it really is kind of vapid and pointless. Um, if there's no real like objective behind it, 
Especially if you're not having fun. Yeah. If you're having fun and you love doing it, like who cares, right? Then like if you're like like Dylan Page, I just think he loves it's like a game yeah, for him. Almost like almost like Mr. Beast wise. It's like a blast. Like, let me see how astronomical I can get these views, my followers. They're playing that game and it's fun and they're having fun. Like you can tell. Um hey, you know, I'm I like that. I like that game, but I like I like money more. So like right. if, if the if the views map to money, then I'd be like, hell yeah, let's play this game all day. But because because we've been playing for a year and we realize the views do not map to money, unless you have somewhere to point the people, then I'm like, ah, this is like a silly game. But the thing I was thinking is, and you talked about this before, you've made a few videos that went went crazy, but you the the quality of the DMs, the quality of the reach outs of the people who are like, this this is amazing. Correct. Let's do X, Y, and Z that's where like the real value is. And so for, for me, I was thinking like, okay, I looked at the metrics. Of course I got 10 times more followers, new followers from the AI one than the Drogan one. But the, the people that are going to reach out from the AI one are going to be like AI company brand deals, which like that's real money. So like the more we cover AI, the more AI companies reach out and say, Hey, here's 6k, make a video. So like that, that can't be like understated. Like there's a lot of economic value. But my thinking is, if I made a hundred Joe Rogan style videos, at some point, one person is going to reach out to me that I don't know who they are. Maybe they're a CEO of a major company or like they're a VC investor, like some crazy connection that will unlock 10 times more than the sum of all the brand deals I could have made from the AI stuff. I think I, my, my theory is that that's true. And, and I think what you <clears throat> kind of proved with your videos, I don't know who you talked to or like who they were, but I think that's kind of true for you, for yours as well. Like all of the combination of all of like the rabbit type deals are probably significantly less than like the five DM, five best DMs you got from making the game, the game video or like any of the other kind of more immersive cinematic videos. So the problem is those don't show up on the stat sheet. You can't measure those until they happen. And so like, you kind of have to just blind trust that like, okay, if I make the best thing I could possibly make that's unique, one of one and weird, things will shake out the tree things. Something will come out of the tree if I shake it for long enough versus the predictability of making stuff that's speed and niche that will monetize, but like, isn't going to be, you know, huge. I don't know. I don't know if that makes sense, but I'm trying I mean, to I balance I think it's the magic that. of weekends. Like we go through this in real time as we gather data and experiences and like, we're both in the fifth quarter. What's it going to look like in the 50th quarter? Right. And so like, this is uh, part of the game. It's like, let us, let us gather this data and have these experiences and then we can tell you what works, what doesn't, we could focus. I mean, that that's sort of like the plan in real time, like part of the journey, part of the process. Um, yeah, I mean, ultimately I do think the, the more the better, as long as it's some sort of quality, right? I don't think, oh, if you do, like, there, there does come a point where I think the overthinking becomes, um, doesn't become very useful. It almost, yeah, it becomes, it almost becomes like a detriment. And so for anybody listening, if you're trying to optimize, okay, is it quantities, qualities of views? Should I do this? Should I be thought leadership? Should I, it's like, you know, Hormozzi had a good quote here. I should like pull it up to, um, to make sure that I, I'm not paraphrasing and that I attribute it to him accurately, but I, but it, cause we're kind of on the topic of like quantity versus quality in a way. And he had a great quote. He said, quality beats quantity, but quality quantity beats quality. But in order to get quality, you need quantity. So that's, the irony. So, so basically if anybody's listening, if you're early on in your creator journey, I think we're both a testament to this. It's like quantity is the game, make everything and anything, try everything and anything, 
don't just because you find a, a, a style or format that works doesn't mean that has to be your entire identity for the rest of your life. No, keep experimenting, keep trying, keep making things you want to make. Uh, sometimes if it's for the audience, if it's for yourself, if it's for the algorithm, if, if it's for a specific person, try everything. Quantity is the game. Then over time, you're getting, you're getting a little bit better week by week, day by day. And the idea is that over the course of many, many years, all of a sudden your, your quantity is quality. Um, so you can slow down a little bit, focus on quality more, but you get to the point in your skill sets and maybe you develop more resources to hire out that you can find this marriage of quality quantity. And I think some of the best creators have, have nailed that. And, um, so, so suffice to say, like we're still too early to like decide definitively, I think a strategy, I still like, I'm talking for myself here, but like, I very much want to experiment still with a million things, try everything. And I'm not uh, trying to hold myself back through overthinking. Something feels right. If I want to make something, if I can make something in 30 minutes that I think will get a lot of views, I, no matter what, it's a net, uh, net positive, I think. So, yeah, I've spent a decent amount of time thinking lately, like, what do I, what parts of this do I actually like? And what parts of this do I not like? So for example, there's a quote about Novak Djokovic, which is like, they're like, why did you, you know, how did you get so good? And he's just like, I love hitting the ball. Mm, like, he's like, I just I love, love hitting the ball. So it's like, so he's like, he could play for hours because he just loves hitting the ball. And if, and if I sit here and I think about like, what parts of this process do I really like? I don't think I could sit and edit two videos a day, every day for 30 days straight and have more energy after than when I started. I, I don't like editing enough. But what I do love, like, I love this. Like, I could talk on these podcasts all day long. So, like, the talking. I do kind of enjoy writing. I do get tired of it. But, like, I love sitting down for four hours and, like, writing something dope in Blueprint. I enjoy that. I really enjoy thinking about products and features of those products and, like, the psychology strategy of how people will react. Those are the three things I love. I don't really love editing. And I don't love the process of, like, putting the video together after I think about the strategy and the story. And so... Because of that, I'm like, all right, how do I, you know, you only get one life. So I'm like, how do I shift my operation or like move my operation in a way where I can spend more of my day doing the writing, strategizing on products and talking or like sharing ideas, basically coming up with ideas and sharing them versus the tactical editing or the editing is just like a, you know, the punching bag of late because we're making videos and like editing is the thing, piece of that I don't like, but there's all this stuff, the operations, the brand deals, the emails, all the opera, all that shit. I don't like. So part of, you know, part of me is like you watch Hormozzi and he's like, I had to do shit I hated for 10 years. And like, that's just what you have to do. And you have to grit it and bear it. And so like, part of me is in that camp of like, I just need to stop complaining and like do it all. But the other part is like, yo, there's a million ways to win. Like if I could figure out a way to like shift my, time split so that I spent more time in the buckets I actually like, would I be happier? Would I enjoy that more? Even if it came at the detriment of growth, I'm not sure. So that's what I'm trying to figure out. Cause I, I want to make a huge push to YouTube. And at last, last week I spent two afternoons. So like eight to 10 hours editing one YouTube video and I hated it. I hated the process of doing the editing, even though I know that the storytelling comes kind of from the edit. I just really didn't enjoy sitting there and not being able to go outside and all that. So yeah, I'm trying to work through that. I'm sure I'm sure you are too. And a lot of creators are as well. They like certain parts. They don't like others. It's important to know that though. Like the fact that you know that about yourself, I, I think is a, a strong signal because you no know, delegation is part of the game. It's key and being able to delegate what, like for me, 
if I were to delegate the editing, it would make my workflow a lot faster, but I like that process. I like that. But I mean, like depends, like, yeah, if I'm editing along like YouTube videos, not as enjoyable, if it's not like a cinematic storytelling piece or like a storytelling piece in general, I don't, that's not like fun to me, but like these shorts that I do, I kind of like that, man. I, I, I just like enjoy it and I wouldn't feel right necessarily outsourcing that. Um, but as an example, I hate going back and forth and email with brands. So maybe I'll sign with management. Like that's a good thing <laughs> to delegate. Uh, I hate chasing him down yeah. on the net 30, the net, net six. Like when's the payment coming in here? Like I, I hate all that. I hate that process. Um, I don't even necessarily think that I'm very good at it. Like representing myself and like the value that I can bring. I hate having to like explain to people versus them just seeing it, which I know is, is dumb. It's like, it's, it's very much part of the game, but understanding what you don't like, what you don't want to spend time doing, I think is important. Um, and so that's a good signal. It's funny. Like, have you ever played Settlers of Catan? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got that game. So in, in that game, at the beginning of the game, it's really important to get wood and brick because that's how you build roads and that's how you get the initial settlements. But at the end of the game, it's really important to have wheat and rock and whatever. I don't, I think sheep are, <laughs> sheep are largely important the whole game, but wheat and rock at the end of the game are way more important. <clears throat> and when you think strategically, if you place your things on only wheat and rock, you'll never get to the end of the game because you had no brick and wood, you'll starve yourself. And that's actually like a really good corollary to this creator game, which is like, if I were to start from the beginning, putting my foot down, being like, I'm not editing, I'm not doing the editing. That's the equivalent of saying, I'm going to only do rock. I would never oh, even get to the content end. Because right here. Editing, you got to make this piece of content. Yeah. What does Settlers of Catan have yeah, in common the, with the creator game or whatever? You figure out an angle. Yeah, there you go. Piece, this is a, a piece of content. This is coming off the dome. Maybe I'll make that today because I didn't have a that's good video a idea, idea for today yet. I love but, shit like that. But that's, so that, 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 that's how I'm thinking of it is like, I almost like grew to love editing the shorts because for some reason I like the canvas. I like how it's like finite. You can do it in one sitting. The YouTube editing is more what I'm talking about, which I absolutely despise. But like if I chose not to edit at all, I would never have gotten to where I am to where I could potentially not edit. And like that's, editing is just one example, but there's so many things in this process where like, if you want to win, which I want to win, you want to win, you have to go where the wooden brick is and get some wooden brick. Like that's what you have to do if you want to win the game. And I think these are therapeutic conversations where we talk about like, should we do X or Y? But at the end of the day, there's no way to win without wooden brick in that game. And it's the same way with being that's a, a banger piece of content, man. I need, I need, I need to see, I need to, you need to make that one. I'll make that's that today. a sick piece of I'll content. Um, I said we ended there. What do you think? Keep a lot Perfect. of good stuff on the docket All for right. next week. That's the pod. Thank you guys for listening. Make sure to subscribe. Share this with a friend. We know you won't, but we'll say it anyway, just to make sure. If you thought you could, you might. Share this with a friend and, we'll and then let us know the, the name of the friend you shared it with. I want to know. In the comments, In the yeah. comments, DM us. Uh, we want to know that information. Yeah. Perfect. All right. We'll see you guys in the next one. Peace. Peace.